The key to doing Judaism properly is to be able to be fully invested in whatever it is that Hashem expects from us at any given time and equally flexible to shift to whatever Hashem may expect from us immediately afterwards, even if it's completely different. That shows that we're dedicated to what Hashem wants rather than just to our own interests. We're going to learn that from the Jews' behavior after the miracle of the splitting of the sea because it does seem a little strange that they had to be schlepped away to continue their journey to Har Sinai. And we're going to see that even Pasuk, based on the Pasuk that says, Vayasa Moshe Sisom Yamsuf, that Moshe took the Jews, led them from the Yamsuf, state and Medrash. The Medrash says, when Rashi brings the Sarah Bifirush Alatayr, Rashi quotes it, Hisyon Baal Korchon, that Moshe Rabbein had to move them against their will. Moshe had gezwungen den, havechzegen von Yamsuf. Moshe had to coerce the Jewish people to leave the, the Yamsuf. And the question is, why? So Chazal explained what was going on over there. The Jews were collecting the amazingly great spoils from the Egyptians at the sea, at the sea which was so immense, that there was more to take, more valuables at Yamsuf than there was when the Jews left Mitzrayim. And that's why they didn't want to leave. So Moshe had to nudge them along, push them, say, no, let's go. That really doesn't seem to make sense. It's Shvertzafashtein. It's really difficult to understand what's going on over here. Because Pshas Kriyas Yamsov, what happened at Kriyas Yamsov wasn't just an escape route for the Jewish people. The Jewish people experienced a clear revelation of godliness as the expression goes, that Hashem revealed Himself in His full glory to them. And that was so profound and real to them. They were able to say, this is my God, that they could point with a finger. That's how real it was to them. To the extent that even a simple maidservant saw at the sea things that future prophets were not going to get to see. And as a result of that, they sang this immense praise to Hashem after the splitting of the sea. So how is it then possible after this massive spiritual exposure, this godly encounter, the Jews were completely obsessed with picking up trinkets that the Egyptians had left. How could gold and silver have even held any value in their eyes after having just been exposed to this immense divine revelation? The truth is, the question is even stronger than that. To me, it's not starker. The Jews knew where they were headed. That Moshe Rabbeinu had been told that going out of Mitzrayim is only the beginning of a process that takes them to Har Sinai. And that was something they cared about, and we know that they cared about it. As for Yamsuf Gainsay Tzamat and Torah, they knew that they were going from here to receive the Torah. Or Nochmer, that was so important to them, they were counting the days until they would get there. So they were enthusiastic to receive the Torah. They were enthusiastic and yearning to receive the Torah. So that's where they want to get to. And we are so how does it make sense? They, they're coming off the back of this immense divine revelation on their path to Har Sinai, which they care about so much that they're counting. How does it make sense that they get sidetracked by the gold and silver that the Egyptians had dumped on the side of the, well, had washed up from the Egyptians onto the side of the, of, of the sea? That, that's more than, than rushing to Matan Torah. It doesn't make any sense. They're counting the days to Matan Torah, which means that same day they were counting that it's one less sleep to get the Torah. And at the same time, they're saying, but hang on a second, we first got to pick up the gold and silver. 
doesn't make sense unless Muslims sagen. We have to say, as those was didn't have a new vote up, lassen sie business ayam. The fact that the Jews were not willing to overlook the immense treasures lying there at the sea is not given the farbas kesef zav mitzadatzmam hot bazei gehatach zach shivas. It's not because they cared about silver and gold. They were certainly not such fickle people. Nor was they having gerechent as does. We have to say that they believed collecting the gold and silver from the Egyptians there at the sea. They understood that that's what Hashem wanted from them and we'll unpack how that is. By the way, that also links this interpretation of Baal Korcham that Moshe had to schlep them away from the treasures. With the other more mystical explanation, which is that the Jews did not want to leave Yamsuf because they were there in the aura, the afterglow of the tremendous divine revelation. And that's no contradiction. The gold and silver is not a contradiction to the divine revelation. Why? Being exposed to divine revelation made them more enthusiastic to do what Hashem wants. And they believed that what Hashem wants is to collect this booty. So why? Why would it be something that they felt was a priority to collect the gold and silver of the Egyptians? Well, there's a simple reason for it that actually fits within the constraints of halacha as well. One explanation, which is simple to understand, and correlates with halacha is as follows. By Golas Mitzrayim, it's actually so simple, it's astonishing. When the Jews were taken out of Egypt, they were given an instruction from Hashem, which is that every man had to ask his neighbor, every woman her neighbor, that had to ask them for their silver and gold items. On the Mechuvim Bazei is given, and the intention of collecting that gold and silver was Nit nor Aziden Zolim Bakum and Aruchush Godel. Not simply so that the Jews should emerge from Egypt wealthy, which of course is part of the objective, but beyond that, nor Oich, they had to fulfill the Abish's intentions for Egypt, which was Venitzaltimus Mitzrayim, that you empty out Egypt in Gans and Eisleidikan. Totally remove everything. Fun Kesef, Ezov, Chulei. To, you know, to, to get all the silver and gold out of Mitzrayim. So in other words, besides the fact that they would benefit by now having immense wealth, they wanted them to strip Egypt bare. Chazal, to use the expression of Chazal, which Rashi also brings, by the way, like a granary that's now empty of its grain, or a, a, a net that's, that doesn't have any fish, or a, a reservoir that doesn't have any fish. So now, the Jews are coming off the back of this. It says, our objective is we've got to clear out all of the Egyptian wealth. It's what the Abishta wants. Now they come to the Yamsuf. And they notice that the Egyptians still have a tremendous amount of silver and gold that they hadn't stripped bare from them. And they haven't yet taken these treasures. They understood that they remained obligated by the instruction they had earlier been given to get involved with these treasures. So they could finish the job that they had asked them to do, which is clean out Mitzrayim. They got to do it. Eyes of a Haldensich to lead them from again to Matantara. Now they might be a problem because engaging with this will delay their process to get to Matantara. As the Obereif dem, as is all in Glaich again, Makabazan de Terra, Nikavan Kansivoi. 
They hadn't been given an instruction that to get to Matan Torah had to be immediate. They knew that it was the goal and objective and they were headed there. But they were given an, an instruction to clear out all the wealth of Egypt. They were fulfilling that instruction. And in their minds, it doesn't contradict the, the fact that they've got to get to Matan Torah because there's no instruction about how quickly they have to get there. The fact that David just said, when you, Moshe, take the Jews out of Egypt, the goal will be to get them to Har Sinai to receive the Torah. That wasn't a commandment to Moshe. It was a description of something that would happen. This is at the burning bush. And Hashem tells Moshe, what's going to happen next is after you take the Jews out of Egypt, you'll get them to, to this mountain and they'll receive the Torah. After the Exodus. And it doesn't say in the promise anything about when it's going to occur. So they don't have a due date by when they have to receive the Torah. No matter how enthusiastic they are to receive the Torah, they don't have the authority to override a direct instruction that they have to get the, the wealth of Egypt. Which if they don't do it here and now, there won't be another opportunity. It's a mitzvah that's going to expire. So that would explain why they're focused over here on the treasures of the Yamsuf and have to be reminded to go to Matan Torah. But there's got to be more to the story. That's not enough of an explanation. The fact that Moshe told the Jews, now it's time to move on, let's get on our way to, to Matan Torah, is doch poshut, as they haven't verstanden, as das is given al pitzi Hashem. Truth is, if Moshe told them that it's time to go to, 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 um, to Matan Torah, that is an instruction from Hashem. Moshe doesn't make things up. So we're back to square one. Why does he have to force them? As soon as he says, it's time to go, they should recognize. Now we have a new tzivoy. Let's go. Is there beer in them? So we've got to dig a little deeper to understand this. Let's assume that going to Matan Torah was a direct instruction from Hashem. The Jews still had a counter-argument. We have two instructions from Hashem. Logic says, first complete the first instruction to take the wealth of the Egypts. Then you could address the second instruction and go to Harsinai. Especially when you consider, as mentioned, that to collect the, the, the wealth of the Egyptians was a now or never mitzvah. And we know that the halacha is if a person has the opportunity to study Torah, which is a really important mitzvah, or the person has to do a mitzvah that cannot be done at a later stage, that time-bound mitzvah overrides the mitzvah to learn, or in their case, to receive the Torah. So they still had a logic to say, look, if Moshe is giving us an instruction from Hashem, that's great, we'll get there as soon as this one is completed. But Moshe clearly wasn't happy with that. Even though Moshe is telling them right now, but you've got to go now. You've got to leave now. And Moshe is telling them, leave the gold and silver, or at least whatever you haven't yet collected. That would seem to indicate that this mitzvah of taking all of the Egyptian wealth, even though it's going to expire, it's still un, un, overridden for the Abish's reasons by the fact that they have to learn or in this case receive the Torah. 
is the ton azay befail. So even if they accept and they say, okay, we're going to go, the masa, we're going to head to, to Matan Torah. We don't understand why in this particular case, Matan Torah overrides a mitzvah or various, a mitzvah that can't be fulfilled ever again. But we'll do it as an Indian from Baal Korchem, but it's against their will. They don't go there with the same enthusiasm and excitement as if it was a mitzvah, so to speak, as, as it would have made sense to them. Complete mitzvah A and then go to mitzvah B. Because the way that they understood and interpreted what was going on, based on the extent of their knowledge of Torah at that point, they understood in their minds that the correct approach would have been for first complete the mission you were given to take the wealth of the Egyptians, and not head to Matan Torah in such a way that neutralizes the opportunity to fulfill the original instruction that they were given. So that's why they go with a kind of a heavy heart. We'll do it because they wish to said so. We don't really get it. So we're schlepping our feet in that direction. With that in mind, that we're absolutely clear over the fact that when the Jewish people engaged with collecting the wealth of the Egyptians, is was not for personal interest, it was because they wanted to fulfill what Hashem had told them to do, which is clear out all the Egyptian wealth. That perspective will help us clarify something else about the story that doesn't seem to make sense. Why would the Jews have been so passionate and excited and obsessed with the wealth of the Egyptians? To the point that they had to literally be dragged away from the Yamsuf. Think about this practically. They're headed to the desert. What are they going to do with this massive amount of wealth? It's a place that's devoid of people. What are they going to do with all the gold and silver? Especially when you consider that Yes, we know that when they were in the desert, there were nomadic tribes that came past, merchants, and they could buy things. Don't forget they had a massive amount of wealth already that they took out of Egypt. More than they would ever need for spending money in the desert, even for 40 years. Like we know from the Gemara, when the Jews left Mitzrayim, there wasn't a single Jew who was not accompanied by 90 strong Libyan donkeys laden with the gold and silver of Egypt. They had plenty of money. What do they care about getting more gold and silver? What's it going to help them? Let's assume that the Jews at that point, because they didn't know that it was going to be a 40-year delay in the desert, so in their minds they believe, they believe that from here to Eretz Yisrael is a few days journey and then we're there. And once we're there, it's forever. The Egyptian exodus would have become the ultimate exodus. The Gula Hamitas, no further Golos ever again. If that's their thinking, we're going into Israel into the Mashiach reality, then there's no way that they should have been thinking that to prepare yourself for an ultimate Gula that is eternal with Mashiach. They need so much gold and silver. What are you going to do with gold and silver when Mashiach comes? 
So either way you look at it, it seems completely misplaced and illogical for them to be so excited to get more gold and silver. But but from the perspective we've given now, that's an easy answer to that question. They were fulfilling what they told them. That was their focus. That's what they thought about. There's an instruction from Hashem. There's a mitzvah. We're doing the mitzvah. The mitzvah is clear out the Egyptian wealth. So if I'm doing a mitzvah, I don't make any personal accountings. How's it going to benefit me? Or what am I going to do with all the gold and silver? What's the difference? I'm doing what they wish wants. They're fulfilling Deibishter's instruction and they're doing it with their full commitment. With full hearts and souls. So when you're completely invested in something with all your heart and soul and then you're told to change direction, dump that avoid and start doing something else, it is Baal Karcham. It goes against the grain. It goes against everything that you're completely invested in right now. Not invested for personal reasons. Invested because you're dedicated to Hashem with everything you have. Now to better understand this, as we well know, that gold and silver has another layer to it that is very spiritual and, and makes it much more meaningful than simply gathering assets. We'll understand this better based on the deeper Siddisha explanation of what it means to clear out all of the wealth of Egypt. Because the question many people think about and ask is, why was it that important that the Jews should leave with tremendous wealth, even, even to the point that Debeshe says, please tell the people that they should go out with wealth so Avraham Avinu doesn't have complaints. Debeshah didn't allow the Jews to shorten their stay in Mitzrayim and give up the opportunity to have the great wealth. Why is wealth so important? That relates to a principle in Judaism which is why a Jewish person may not waste or damage their own personal belongings. And the principle of Atar Chosam Amen and Shalisha, why there are so many areas of Torah where we're careful, or Halacha is careful, to protect Jewish assets. Why? Why such a big deal around Jewish assets? Well, as the Gemara says, that uh, Tzadikim are very cautious about their belongings. Because the Rechush God, when we talk about great wealth, physical wealth, all physical wealth includes within it the sparks of holiness that are embedded within those physical items, in this case, Egyptian gold and silver. The moment that that gold and silver transfers from Egyptian ownership to Jewish ownership, then the sparks of holiness embedded within that gold and silver and the other types of assets are now elevated from from the most uh, disgusting, lowly part of the world, and transferred into the world of holiness. Because that principle of elevating sparks of holiness that are embedded in our world is a very central part of everything we have to do as Jewish people. It's so central that it's through the steps of elevating physical material experiences and items to a holy direction and purpose that fulfills the purpose of creation, which is that Debeshter wanted to be completely revealed and at home where specifically in the lowest of all realities. 
the there's no way you could ignore or overlook or leave behind the great wealth because it's not simply that the Jews should be wealthy people it's far more profound than that it's that the world should be a transformed place now with that in mind the same logic applies to all this massive wealth lying around on the banks on the shores of the uh, of the Amsaf the Jews being conscious of the immense value and opportunity and achievement when you take something from such a lowly, toxically, it's a spiritually toxic place and you elevate it to holiness. They were so invested and enthusiastic in doing this job. Let's transform the world as the Ebishter wants it. And especially when you consider that they're now just walking out of this massive divine revelation where you can actually point at the Shechina with your finger. That only reinforced their dedication to fulfilling Hashem's mission that they're now not only invested with all their heart and soul but they're invested with a level of commitment and a level of drive that is beyond their natural abilities. The mezet, something everybody can relate to. If a person, a Jewish person, is conscious of the fact that the Ebrishta is watching, how I'm doing this mitzvah, that person will throw everything that they have into that mitzvah in the most exponential way. Knowing that Abish is watching how I do this mitzvah, there won't be any part of my reality that's not completely caught up and invested in doing the mitzvah. That gives us a far deeper appreciation for what it means that Moshe had to schlep the Jews away from Yamsuf. It's not a question over here of a group of Jewish people who've just been exposed to this massive divine revelation of Kriya Siamsa, but they don't want to listen to Moshe and he has to force them. Obviously they're going to follow Moshe's instruction because they recognize that it's Hashem's instruction. Which means to leave Yamsuf. They'll do it with absolute joy and commitment. Obviously. Now the Pirish Pnimi in Balkorcham is when we say that they're moving here against their will, what it means is as dos is Balkorcham von Zer It means that they're doing something with complete dedication and enthusiasm, although every fiber of their understanding of what Torah expects of them is being challenged. Their appreciation is this is where we need to be, elevating the world to Kedusha. We don't understand why you're schlepping us away. We'll go, obviously, with commitment and, and joy because it's what they wish to want. But we don't get it. Because they were completely invested in this avoid of elevation by taking the physical items of the Egyptians at the sea. With all their heart, with all their soul, with the fullest extent of their being, is that uprising sich der fun. The minute they have to be schlepped out of that, they're going to tear themselves away. They will do it, but the doing of it is given an open from Balkorcham, something which is completely against every fiber of who they are in and in, in that moment. They're completely invested. They're completely absorbed, and now to pull them out of it. 
means they have to totally change direction from everything of where they are. So the only reason and the only way in which they can do it is not because they're motivated, because they understand, because they appreciate it, it's because they accept Hashem's authority. But they don't do it schlepping their feet, they do it with absolute joy. Let's take it deeper. When the Ebishter now tells them via Moshe Rabbeinu that right now the priority is to go to receive the Torah, they knew even though they couldn't necessarily rationalize it. They now knew that that mitzvah of taking Egyptian wealth and elevating it to holiness is now completed. They don't understand how it could be completed because they still see gold and silver lying there. But they accept that if Debus just says it's time to move on, then it must mean that it is completed. And the moment they realize this job is finished, they have to acknowledge that spending any further time here will have zero value. Let's use this example, eating matzah. We know that matzah is incredibly powerful. It's a food that feeds our faith. That means that the physical act of eating physical matzah somehow reinforces our faith. We don't have to know the technology, but we know it works. Is by med for my more and when does matzah have this unique set of properties? When the achilles matzah is in DMA Pesach. When you're eating matzah while it's Pesach. When I stop the matzah noch Pesach, but eat matzah the day after, the minute after Pesach ends, eating matzah will have no effect. Not going to strengthen our emuna. Same thing. The minute it is over, Biza Sayom has no value anymore. The fact that Matzah has the power to be able to embellish or strengthen Emuna, is a gift from Hashem that has a particular time frame in which it works. Once the time frame ends, and eating Matzah is no longer a mitzvah, the bottle of the Kerchshaba, all of the power and impact of matzah disappears. This is going to teach us a foundational principle of what it means to serve Hashem. When a Jew is engaged with some element of how to serve Hashem, the person has to be altogether completely absorbed in that avoider without distraction. With every particle of, of, of one's being. And that means even to the extent of pushing ourselves beyond anything that makes any sense or any of the parameters that we normally work with. When a person is that invested in one style or one focus of avoider, there's no room for anything else. Nothing else exists this is where I am with every part of my being. So when a person has to switch channels, it would be the equivalent of doing something which is against my will because my whole self is invested here. Now you want me to change direction. But if there's a clear instruction that we see in the Shulchan Aruch, or from the Moshe Rabbeinu of our time, the Rebbe of our time, 
As it's daf mamaf six ayin from der avoda, unton in atzveiter avoda. That now it's time to switch channels, and now it's no longer the time to focus on this avoda. We've got to do a totally different avoda. At that moment, the Jew has to enter a state of absolute paradox. What's the paradox? On the one hand, the person's response should be, Whoa, you want me to go there? That's against what I'm doing now. That's against where I am. That's against what I'm invested in. Because right now I'm completely invested here. So going there is against the grain on the one hand. On the other hand, But the interesting and ironic part of it is that 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 ability to accept that I have to do something which is against where I am, where my whole being is, that's now going to give me the new highest. That I'm now capable of living with as much dedication and investment and passion in the new avoida. Even to the point of having a dedication with such enthusiasm that is completely beyond anything that can be described or, or understood. That means, that means the reason the person was so invested in the previous avoida was not for selfish reasons, was not for ulterior motives. It's because the person was completely dedicated to what Hashem wants. And it was such an investment in doing what Hashem wants that the minute somebody proposed something else, it felt like that is against what I want because I want to do what Hashem wants. Hashem wanted me to do that avoider. But because it was dedication to what the Eibishter wants rather than what I'm interested in, that is what infuses the person with a brand new set of the same type of chayos in the new avoider. Now that could sound a little bit abstract, so let's look at practical examples. How does this apply to a person whose primary focus is learning versus how does it apply to a person whose primary focus is serving Hashem through, uh, through Avoida, uh, through Gemilas Chasodim or Tzedakah, Uvdin Tavan, etc. So there's a practical lesson over here for the yeshiva student as there is for the business person. Yeshva Oil, people whose entire life is dedicated to learning Torah 24-7. Their focus has to be total immersion in total learning. But if Shulchan Aruch says, now there's a mitzvah that has to be done, that can only be done now and will never repeat. It's used an extreme example. Somebody's life is in danger, God forbid. Now it's clear that according to Shulchan Aruch, the person who is absolutely immersed in Torah has to pluck themselves out of Torah and go do this mitzvah or save this person. He's got to save somebody, which means not just saving somebody who's has uh, fallen in and, and or, or injured, but it means you've got to spread Yiddishkeit to save somebody else spiritually. The Yoshev Oil who loves their learning and is completely invested and dedicated to the learning and not only does it because they love it but does it because that's what they wish to want from them has to be just as motivated now to go out and help the other person. A person could argue It's much more enjoyable to stay inside the walls of the Yeshiva and be completely dedicated to Torah learning. 
So what I have to go out into the noise of the street and the exposure and the schmutz? Yes, I've learned that the Gemara says that the person who claims that the entire Judaism is only the Torah learning, the truth is they don't even have Torah learning because no, because Torah has to also translate into deeds of goodness to other people. The person will say, but I have my allocation of Gemilas Chasadim that I do as well. That's because the Torah forced me that I've got to do these things. Because I need to validate my Torah learning by actually doing But you want me to go out there and, and engage with people who are on the brink of spiritual devastation? Oh, I, I'm not going there. It's not comfortable. It's dangerous. The person has to know us from the Malkorchach. It's exactly that area of Yiddishkeit that feels like it goes against every fiber of your being. That you literally have to tear yourself away from Torah learning in order to help somebody else. It has to be done in a way that is alive. That a person has to dedicate themselves to spreading Yiddishkeit, reaching out to other Jewish people, saving souls with absolute dedication and joy. Is dos zayin gansametzius, which means that at the time the person is engaged with sharing Yiddishkeit, that should be as, as if I, I do nothing else. Just like when I'm learning Torah, the investment and the immersion in Torah should be to the exclusion of everything else. And a person looks and thinks, I cannot imagine this person in any other scenario. When a person, that same person, is out there bringing another yid close to Torah, etc., it should be so clear that they're invested in it that you couldn't imagine they'd do anything else. And the same almost reverse lesson is for the business person. Their primary way of serving Hashem is by doing goodness and kindness to other people. So those business people need to recognize the fact that they are obligated to have set times to learn Torah. Cannot just be penciled into the calendar. Based on the guidelines in Hilchos of what the minimum requirements of daily Torah learning might be. Okay, so I fulfill my requirements, maybe even a little bit more than the minimum. It has to be something that is carved into the person's soul. It's not just something I do, it's who I am. As in this which means not just that I start the, the class at this time and I finish it at that time, or I learn my daf or whatever the thing is that a person does. It's when I'm learning, nothing else exists. This is where I'm completely immersed. That at that time of my limited period of Torah learning, I am as engaged as the person who learns Torah 24-7. Then there's another lesson as well. If the story about how to refine the physical gold and silver of the Egyptians to make it into something holy had become so central to the Jewish people that they had to be dragged away to go receive the Torah. That they were so occupied in the, the wealth. That they wanted to be able to elevate and refine every last bit of Kedusha that was embedded in Egypt. They don't want to leave any molecule unturned in, in Mitzrayim. 
if they were so worried about getting the value out of gold and silver that had belonged to Egyptians, how much more so should we be passionate about getting the value embedded in a fellow Jew? Jews who have somehow drifted from Judaism to bring them to Terimitzvah. We should have much greater dedication to that mission than the Jews had to the mission of elevating the gold and silver inanimate objects of the Egyptians. Now, Eid Kantain and a person might argue, I've done a great job. I have a whole list of people who I brought closer to Judaism. And therefore, Megazach needs to room from the Marbet. So now I could take it easy. Not that I'm going to waste my time. No, I'm going to waste but you know what? Instead of running after Jews and trying to drag them back to Yiddishkeit, let me do something which is a little bit more pleasant. I've earned my stripes. I've earned my opportunity to take it easy, to invest in myself, to learn, etc. So we have to know from the story of Yamsuf, that we don't have the rights to rest on the laurels of the great successes that we have had in bringing Jews back to Yiddishkeit. If there's still one Jew out there that I could potentially reach, and I haven't yet brought him close, then I can't rest. Unless I have a clear instruction from the Shulchan Aruch, or a clear instruction from the, the Rebbe of the time, in our case, our Rebbe, until I have a clear message, today or from today and on, I should focus elsewhere on a different kind of avoider, till I get that instruction, I may not leave the Bizasayam. I can't leave the gold and silver that's out there. That has to be brought into Jewish hands. The Jews who have drifted from Judaism. Until I'm given my next marching orders, this is where I need to be. Particularly when you're talking about Jewish people, tells us every Jew is an entire universe, not just a, a single project. Logically, a person can then understand that even if they have already succeeded in bringing many, many people back to Yiddishkeit. As long as there's one Jewish person that we haven't yet succeeded in drawing close to Yiddishkeit, that means there's an entire universe, a full of welt was nicht mehr a whole universe that hasn't yet been elevated and refined as it should. And those is a that would be valid if we were talking about one single Jew left on the planet who hasn't yet been brought close to Yiddishkeit. Now, when we're honest and recognize that there are unfortunately many, many Jewish people who still need to be drawn closer to their Judaism. No question that a person has to be 100% invested in that. With all the energy that a person has. To the point that if anybody or anything wants to distract us from that avoid, it's going to be against our will. Especially when we consider when we recognize that every time we draw a Jew closer to their heritage of Torah Mitzvahs, 
That Jew won't be the end of the journey. That Jew will in turn influence and touch somebody else. He'll bring other Jews closer to Judaism. Because we know that the nature of any mitzvah is that it tends to bring to more mitzvahs. Particularly the mitzvah that when you love another person like yourself, just like you care about yourself, and you're so pleased to have been, so to speak, enveloped into your Yiddishkeit, you'll share it with others. That's something that can produce literally infinite impact by us reaching out to another Jewish person that's what we have to do that's where we have to be completely invested with a knowledge and appreciation that every Jew is an entire universe and it's one more person who comes through the door that brings Moshiach now